What's up, everyone? You're listening to Bring the Heavy with Kurt and Evan, your all-access pass to the behind-the-scenes of the scene. We're here to celebrate the history and evolution of deathcore and some of the heaviest music around with the people that made it happen. I'm one of your hosts, Kurt. And I'm your other host, Evan. For anyone that might not know, I used to tour with metal bands. I have an Instagram account, at IDWMuseum, that's a look back at the six years that I spent in the band I Declare War. I'm also posting memories of the time I toured as a guitar tech for Whitechapel and As I Lay Dying. Reminiscing has been a lot of fun, so that kind of inspired this podcast. Kurt is one of my best friends, and we have been friends ever since I started touring, so we're here to get some of those same stories from other bands. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been listening to lately. So I have been listening to a ton of the Red Chord. Can't go wrong with that. Everything or just like... Guy posted something about squirrels, and I was like, man, that's so red cord. I gotta <laughs> listen to some red cord. And I was <laughs> blasting, fed through the teeth oh. machine, and pray for her eyes. Those are so those good. are my two favorites. I was gonna say that I've been listening to that new Suicide Silence album, very and good. it's very, very good. That's like the cool thing about this show is I've been getting like reconnected with bands that I haven't really like kept up with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that album been on repeat for like three days ever since, (laughs) ever since I listened to it. Okay. So today for our second guest, we have someone that I wish I could remember who said this to me for the first time. Um, because I have discovered it to be true ever since. But someone described Fred to me as the nicest guy in metal. And <laughs> and I have found that to be true ever since we met. And I am very excited to have Fred from Carnifex on today. Welcome, Fred. Thanks for having me. I'm trying to think back I think the original way that I knew who Carnifex was, was I Declare War was offered a tour with them at some point after uh, Dead in My Arms came out. And we were, we really wanted to do it, but we couldn't because of jobs. And it was so early on in what we were doing that, you know, we really didn't have the resources to do it. So I think that was my kind of introduction to Carnifex. Um, that 2006, 2007? That 2000, yeah, that would have been 2007. So Slit Wrist Savior and uh, Lie to My Face definitely would have been the, the MySpace songs I would have jammed for <laughs> sure. <laughs> How about you, Kurt? Uh, my history with Carnifex is a little bit embarrassing, so I'm really glad I get to share that. Um, Can't wait to hear it. So my friends and I got Dead My Arms when that came out and we liked it, but we didn't listen to it much because we thought it sounded like a Suicide Silence ripoff. And then a couple years later, like we just started hearing Carnifex like everywhere. Like you guys must have just really started to like gain traction and get like just bigger. And we were like, Carnifex, isn't that that Suicide Silence ripoff band? And then we listened to, <laughs> we listened to like the next couple albums and we were like, 
oh shit, this is really good. We have been, <laughs> we missed out on this for like four or five years. Um, and then, so doing kind of some like research for this, I've been going back and I, I listened to dead in my arms and the disease and the poison again. And I don't really know why we thought it was suicide silence ripoff. Cause it, it doesn't really sound any more like suicide silence than any other like death core. And, but then I, this week was the first time I listened to graveside confessions and it's really, really good. I was like, really kind of disappointed that I haven't been keeping up with you guys. It happens. I'm always curious about that. We had that conversation with somebody where we finally broke down. And we're like, why, why do people think we came after them? Like we were in the scene at the same time. Mm-hmm. Side, we were in San Diego and we grew separately and we didn't meet until showcase theater. That was like the in-between area for us. And I can swear, like when we looked up the dates, dead in my arms dropped before the cleansing dropped. they they were plugged into the machine already they are on social media they had a manager right and we had a claw to get any representation and it really wasn't until after dead or disease and the poison dropped that we finally got that and that's why we got on those tours we're finally on a label victory we were finally with a booking agent it was at that time i want to say oh it was um artery foundation we finally got booking and management and that's that's why you started seeing us at the time, but because they blew up first and they got bigger, like even but we couldn't touch them ever in our span up until like maybe as soon as we got on Nuclear Blast. So that's why we were the Suicide Silence Club, and every deathcore band became the Suicide Silence Club. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we couldn't we couldn't shake that, but we carved <laughs> our own path. Totally, yeah. I know, I know you weren't. You weren't there for it, but the city is burning records. That was that just kind of some guy out of his basement putting records out, and like, what was the deal behind that? I don't know. I, I they told me the story. They I think they met the guy in L.A. Scott and Sean are the ones that know about it because they, they were there. And uh, I remember Sean texting me, "Hey, we got signed. Our records coming out." And uh, what's funny is like they recorded at a studio that I had tracked at before with Sean called Love Juice Labs. I thought that was pretty funny. And then uh, the record came out. I went to FYE and I bought it. I, I got the Digipack version and I listened to it. And I was like, hey, congrats, whatever. I took a picture, sent it to him. And they told me that it was this guy in LA, maybe Riverside. I remember the details. And the guy's like, I want to put your record out. He gave him 600 bucks or they paid 600 bucks for the recording. And he's the one that distributed it. So it was a combination of uprising records and this city is burning and one's the imprint and one's the distributor. Hmm. And, and then after the first run, it just kind of discontinued mm-hmm. print anymore. Yeah. They also made like jewel case versions for a tour because they, they were in a hurry and that's min- minus one song. They, these thoughts became cages. So there's kids that have the incomplete record and there's kids that have the full record. Oh, wow. I bet those are, do those go for pretty good prices on discogs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he sold uh, his discography to, I want to say Columbia or Sony, because now we can't touch it. If we oh, can't wow. print that record. Mm-hmm. Blast said, if we want to do anything, we could re-record the songs and tag them on albums. And then it makes oh, a wow. live record and re-records and then we can put it on vinyl. But we can't touch that first one because whoever bought it, they have the rights and it doesn't push enough units for them to do it. Yeah. Yeah, man. All this stuff is so sticky and weird. It's so annoying. 
But tell me about some of your earlier tours. Uh, you guys were doing tours with like Emir and Whitechapel. Um, you know, you guys were definitely in that early deathcore original stage. Uh, tell me about some of those earlier tours and how those went. Uh, so I joined November 2007. It was the end of the Dead in My Arms cycle. They had just gotten signed to Victory, and Victory said, we need a record. So I was making treks from San Diego to uh, Nor Norco, which is northern Corona, to rehearse with Sean and Scott. And at the time, it was Corey, and the new guitar player was Ryan from Legacy uh, Pain. And so once we did that, they had already toured with Whitechapel. They'd already toured with the Mirror and Unite and Conquer and uh, I think Recon. They played some shows with Recon. So th they did those tours where they were playing VFW halls. I think they played a skate park. I know they played a golf course, like uh, like rec room area. I thought that was pretty funny with the Mirror. <laughs> We've all played those weird shows. <laughs> so then after that, we, we just started talking to those bands and word of mouth. And we got a handful of booking agents before we got on Artery. So like Ken Moore, we toured with their bands. Then uh, I think his name was Mike Kelly from Texas. And we toured with his bands. Remember Kill Whitney Dead? Yeah. We toured with Kill Whitney Dead and the demonstration. We toured. So when I joined the band, it was with Blood Comes Cleansing, uh, Different Breed of Killer. And then uh, we had to get from the studio in Massachusetts all the way back. And we hopped on a hardcore tour. So it was uh since the flood and uh oh Ligia. oh yeah so those two hardcore bands got us home and then once disease dropped then we hit the ground and we it, had a tour we had to because like you said we we had to quit our jobs and it's like we couldn't part-time it so we booked the back-to-back-to-back mm -hmm. -to -back -to -back tours and right the i made back then was that my brother joined the marines and he got deployed to iraq for seven and a half months and we were on tour and so my mom laughed because we both left and came back at the same time. Like I, I was on the, in the van and then, and then back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We like, I'm trying to remember we did. Oh, it was embrace the end. Arsonist girl, the girls conducting from the grave. It was all artery bands at the time. So then we did a, embrace the end was sick. Oh, they were way sick. I was so stoked. I never heard of them before. <laughs> we did a tragic hero records uh, tour. So it was us and stained glass romance and knives exchanging hands. That band was badass. And then, um, and then we got signed for a little bit, the booking agent, uh, John Finberg. And so he threw us on those old school metal tours. So we did a tour with obituary and unleashed. We did a tour with Warbringer and Fintroll. So it's kind of like we tested it. It didn't really work. Plus he was ripping us off. Oh. <laughs> At least we got to do those tours. And then we went to Europe for the first time because the booking agent out there, he saw us back to back, our name on all these tours, all these bands he was booking. He listened to the record and he's like, uh, I want to see this band. So he booked us on one of seven. And this was like a stack lineup. And it was from the top down. Parkway Drive, Unearth, Despised Icon, Protest the Hero, Architects, uh, Whitechapel, and us. Wow. Yeah. And we were one of seven. <laughs> so we, did, we did all right. And we got to hang out. That was my first time meeting Whitechapel. And, and we were just pounding around, just like, what the fuck? Like, this is our <laughs> first time out here. And this is what we're on. This makes sense. Like. I I said something about this in the first episode when we were talking about when I did Mayhem with Whitechapel. It's funny because those tours are like 
you open them and which is kind of a bummer but at the same time you have all that time just to hang out and just yeah. chill and you make so many good friends and it's such a good time and that's like almost better than actually performing and doing it every day is just hanging out with people and just doing those especially when there's stacked lineups like that we get i get to watch all those bands we were all finishing record cycles every single band had dropped a record and was on the last tour so it was it was cool to see that like we all slaved it out in the states then to cap it off out there together mm -hmm. and it made it well worth it like you said we were just hanging out selling merch just cracking jokes <laughs> That's awesome. Um, You've never seen us before then, Kurt, right? No, I haven't. You guys did Summer Slaughter a few times, right? Yeah, yeah. We can't get and that was always a show that I really wanted to go to, and I just never got a chance to. And I think, like, when it first started, it kind of competed with Sounds of the Underground, so I ended up at Sounds. And then I was always a little bit, like I really liked about half the bands on Summer Slaughter, but then I was like a little bit not into like the super brutal death metal stuff. So I just never ended up going to that. So no, I, unfortunately I've never seen you guys. We never did Mayhem. We have only done Summer Slaughter. We did Warped Tour. You guys did Warped? We did Warped in 2017, 2018. I think it was 2017. With uh, Keisha Strain and uh, Emir and uh, one of our friends. After the burial. Oh wow, that sounds cool. <laughs> That's that sounds just like that tour I just saw you guys on. Um, Black Dahlia, After the Burial, you guys. Who else was on that? I want to say Rivers of Nile. I think so. On death, on death. Open. Yeah. But I was just about to say, um, you know, you guys. Surprising to hear that you were on Warp Tour but you talked about playing that hardcore tour and then you're talking about being out with protest the hero. How do you guys do with bands that aren't really necessarily your style? Cause it seems like you kind of have an audience like, and, and that's not in a negative way, you know? <laughs> I don't know. At the time there was there, like you mentioned earlier, the MySpace days that mm -hmm. didn't matter. It, I think kids just wanted to go to shows. Totally. We played tons of VFW halls. We played, we played empty restaurants. We played a Taco Bell on a military base. <laughs> Anywhere a show could happen, like a backyard. We even played a backyard party uh, on a tour of every, like everyone does a backyard party starting out. But even on, we were booked on a tour, like what the fuck. And so uh, at, at that point, no one cared. But once you started getting in venues, then people started caring. So mm -hmm. all those tours in 2008, all those MySpace dates with the hardcore bands, with deathcore bands, with thrash bands, with death metal bands, no one cared. Until we were finally on like a legitimate tour, opening up for Obituary and Unleashed. Then it was like the, the elitist metalheads. Those guys didn't want us. They did not give a fuck. They were there just to see Obituary. Slowly we rock. That's all they wanted to hear. So they're flipping us off, acting like they're giving us a Slayer treatment. And it's like, you guys are fucking dumb. You're so, right. 14. You just discovered death metal. <laughs> You're flipping me off, dude. Fuck off. And there was a point where some dudes were heckling us in New York and it got so bad. Like they were disruptive where we where like uh, Ralph Santala was watching us and he's a, he was the lead guitar player that was playing for them. He played for death too. And he had passed away several years ago. 
And he was, he was a friend. He became a friend of ours. And he was like, man, these guys are hassling my friends. Fuck those guys. And he went out there, got security and kicked those two kids out. He's like, fuck you guys. Like I'm trying to enjoy myself and you're harshing my buzz. And he, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Play one more song. We're like, all right. And so we played it. On the <laughs> and that's, that's when it was, once we got on the, on a, on a big stage, that's when the right. hecklers came out. Like, okay. And then that's when the crossover of like, I only listen to this genre started becoming a thing. But mm-hmm. on, that, on that, on that Empiricon tour, the fact that it was metalcore, deathcore and progressive, uh, progressive metal. It was cool. All, all the fans dug it. They weren't, we didn't get any hate on that tour. None of the other bands got any hate. Yeah. That's really cool. It's hard. Sometimes you never know what you're going to get with people that are into like stuff that, you know, you just ne- wouldn't necessarily line up next to each other. So that's really awesome. It's a fest. I think it's cool. I think when it, then it's a tour Mm -hmm. people get particular yeah so i was actually looking through the the i declare war dates that i have written down and i don't think that i declare war played a show with you guys until we did that tour in june of 2012 darkness right yeah yeah (laughs) um Death Metal Rises, yeah. Oh, Death Metal Rises, that's what it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that really surprised me because it seemed like, you know, we had been offered that tour with you guys at at really early on, but um, I didn't see any, you know, we opened every single show in Seattle. It blew my mind that we never crossed paths with you guys until that tour. But I know that we knew you, so... I was wondering if you remember how you met us or if you remember come out to shows when we came to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, absolutely. You know, we'd be at shows to see other bands that we were friends with. So I'm sure we just kind of probably studio seven or something or El Corazon somewhere along the way. We just kind of randomly met up or something, but I can't think of a time that we actually like met. I just kind of knew that we knew who each other were. <laughs> we, we must have crossed paths. We must have played shows together. I was playing at, we played Metal Fest together. I don't know if it was that tour, but I remember we we played a Metal Fest together. That one may have been after my time. I don't remember when I met you. I do remember we did the tour, and I do remember when I first joined the band, and I was like, all right, so what should I listen to? And they gave me Amidst the Bloodshed. Oh really? All right, I'll I'll listen to this. This like like these are the bands that you guys like because remember Faceless, Uncle Dama, they were just mm-hmm. the bands that like we think are like buzzing right now, and and that's that's my introduction to you guys was Sean or Corey giving me that record, and then I was like, all right, cool. This is this is this is different. This is heavy stuff. That's really interesting. It's kind of hard to not know who each other was when when all the MySpace stuff was going on. It's just everywhere. What was your musical background like that got you into metal in the first place? Uh, so I grew up with skate punk because uh, in the SoCal scene, it was just, that was what was pretty popular when I was growing up. So the first two bands I started learning music from were like Green Day and Pennywise. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, 
the transition to metal was probably the radio because they always played Metallica. And then, of course, someone's always like, oh, I'll show you something heavier. <laughs> first onset was probably grunge on the radio and then and then uh, hair metal on the radio. So like Bush and then Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. But then I remember a friend of mine giving me his CD book. Like, oh, you got to listen to these things. These, this is like up your speed. And I remember the first CD was uh, Megadeth. Uh, uh, it was uh, Countdown to Extinction. And I put that on and I was like, what the fuck? I've never heard of this fucking fast. And that was that was the thrash moment. But then mm-hmm. there's a friend of mine in my chemistry class in, uh, in high school who was playing the guitar and he was really fast. And he's just like, I got something better for you. And then that's when he introduced me <laughs> to Racer X and In Flames. So the nice. Melodic and heavy. Then it became riffs. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> that, and so that was like the metal. So I was like, I was already listening to punk, then thrash, and then. Then, and then it started splintering after that. Then every musician I met was like, this is faster. This is heavier. This is more thought provoking. So. Totally. I had, uh, I had been listening to an interview with you on history of heavy metal podcast. I think it was called heavy metal history. Um, and that was, I was laughing because you were, you were kind of telling some of that stuff. And I think it's, really funny that guys our age have we all have that same everybody lugged around a cd book and when you'd go to your friends houses and like flip through them and steal all the cds and rip the ones you wanted um so i was actually going to ask you about other uh influential albums along with that megadeth album and um because you were you guys were talking about death i think you had said you listened to them like backwards yeah so i was in a band in high school and then after I graduated high school, myself and the other guitar player that were seniors, because there were two seniors and two sophomores. And I, we, I joined, we started the band when I was a sophomore, but like, so we were, we graduated high school, we left. Then I joined a band in 2003, the whole thing of like all that of like learning everyone's particular stuff. But the, that band, those members from that first band ended up continuing on to keep playing music, converting the garage into a studio. They made, it was like a three car garage. So the two car garage was the, uh, the practice space and the one car was the studio. And I got a call from one of them. And I think it was the drummer. Uh, my buddy Scott goes, Hey, I just, I'm recording this thrash band. Their drummer sucks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna track drums. They asked me to join, but their basses kind of sucks. I told him I know a guy, can you come in and track this stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so then I learned it. And then I talked to the vocalist at the time. I was like, I was like, just, just to help me out, like what's some influences and the obvious ones of like Iron Maiden, you know, but then he's like, you should listen to death. I was like, I've never heard of them. And so he gave me uh, the sound of perseverance. And that's what I was like, okay. And so then I was like learning it and then trying to write bass lines like that. And then I realized this is really good shit. And then bought the record before that. And then the record before that until I got to uh, the first one. So I was like, I was like, what the, like, yeah. So I, I, I learned about him after he had died and all that stuff and, and then went backwards. I was just looking at that uh, Whitechapel Carnifex Rings of Saturn poster right behind you. I thought it was the, the death metal rises on your other side. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have that one somewhere. Um, I see that one behind you, the Bone Crusher 
Fest in Europe. That one was with... Um, we, did, we did like three of them, and I think there was four of them. So we opened one up. There was one that you did that was you headlining with Beneath the Massacre, and then Within the Ruins, Molotov Solution, and Betraying the Martyrs. That was the third one. So I Declare War was actually originally going to do that in place of Molotov Solution. I don't know where things changed, but we weren't able to secure time off of work or whatever um, since we were kind of kind of fluctuating back and forth in between bands and jobs at the time. So I was just kind of curious if you remember that tour at all and, you know, how it went. Yeah, that was fucking great. We, we did two Bone Crushers before, working our way up from opening to, like, middle, and then we were asked to headline. The train was put on because they were just starting out. I wouldn't say just starting out, but they were just starting to make traction. And so that was their first opening for that big kind of tour. But we, we, we put our friends on it. It's like, we're like, oh, you guys are all booked by the same booking agent. This is awesome. It's all. It's mm. We love Beneath the Massacre. We were bros with those guys and we wanted to tour with them more. And then Molotov, we had known from back in the day. So we headlined that tour. We put all the bands on one bus to save money, shared a backline. We already knew everybody. We could, that way we could make some money. And it was just a party. We just partied all uh, the whole time. And uh, everyone got along. So setting up was very lax and easy. No one had to do the time stuff and whip anybody into shape. We were just kind of just like, everyone knew the pecking order and we just got along and it was super easy. And we did well. That's awesome. Did you rotate with Beneath the Massacre? Did you? We closed. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. closed. There was like a, this, here's like the thing that we walk away from that tour was that uh, Elliot was on medication from something. I think he hurt his shoulder, but that might've been later. He was on some medication, so he couldn't drink. And at the time, they were getting a bottle of Jaeger every night. <laughs> and was kind of like, we're going to wait. We're not going to party without. Him. And so they were hoarding their bottles. And then finally, he was off the medication. He's like, give me three days. Three days later, he's like, I'm ready to party. And they just popped these bottles of Jaeger. No, no one got any sleep that night. It was just as soon as a bottle was done, another one, another one, another one. It got so bad. I was, I called it crowd surfing, like because they had these benches on the bottom lines of the bus. I was gonna say, how did you fit? This is twenty people. Well, but train was in a van. They were in a. They were okay. So it was just us four bands. And at the time, we didn't really have any crew except the. But still, that's a lot of people for one bus. I had been watching uh, a bus invaders video that had you guys on it when you were sharing a bus with despised icon. They built some extra bunks in the back, so there were like it was like a fifteen instead of a twelve or something. Yeah, they put like uh, they got rid of the back lounge and put some more bunks back there. Wow. I think it was a nine bunk bus plus two, so it was 11. They would just fold up everything in the back and that way so people could chill during the day. There was like these two tablets that would come down with the mattresses and then two people slept back there. Wow. So how is that like, you know, when you have, you play these shows every day and then you guys kind of travel in a way that you kind of bring the party back to the bus like does that ever get tough when you guys get or like tired or burned out or is it just like good times the whole time yeah the bus actually provides us a respite so like if you don't want to party you just go to your bunk and yeah luckily we've never had issues where it's like oh someone's so fucking loud you gotta shut the fuck up uh somehow it doesn't no one really disturbs anybody it's only when like 
maybe someone's trying to cook something and then people are like going to and from the bathroom or to bunk alley. Yeah, I think the bus is there's a thing with it that's like everyone knows they're paying for it and it's like an expense and they know it's kind of a luxury and so they all want respect and so they give everyone the same amount of respect and i i found the same thing that buses were always very kind of respectful and everyone had their own little space it was a privilege so we didn't want to we didn't want to ruin it we're celebrating it we barely tour buses anyways I don't know. I was just looking at some of these old pictures from that tour that we were doing. Um, I was really shocked when I texted you and asked if you were available because I saw this photo of you that you had just finished tracking. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Maybe he'll have time. I'll go check his tour dates. And I looked at him, oh, he's leaving in like two weeks. There's no way he'll have time for this. Ha ha ha. And then you text back, fuck yeah, let's do it. Again, nicest guy in metal. <laughs> it's it's like as soon as I was done tracking, I was like, I'm free of responsibility. I just have to rehearse the set. That's that's like 45 minutes, 55 minutes at the most. Right. That's, that's no big deal. And then I can goof off and fuck off, play video games or practice guitar. <laughs> and then a buddy of mine, he runs a brewery and he was just like, uh, I need help canning because uh, it's like a, it's like an easy thing. But when you're by yourself, there's four steps. And if you can split it up and I was like, I can finally come hang out. I can hang out and bullshit and help you do this thing, this totally menial task and drink well and then and catch up. <laughs> but I did yesterday. So I was like, oh, nice uh he said something about like maybe 36 cases of cans wow yeah yeah but, but he's got it like dialed in i just i just had to like wipe the beer off and then put them all uh on a uh, in little boxes and then is that what you're drinking right now yeah yeah it's a simple machine in arizona i just had to put them in cases and then pile the cases up to the sticker guy and then that guy like there's a guy prepping the can guy, the guy filling it, and then I'm the guy getting the beer off the can. So, cool. This is this is something to do. Like after slaving away over these tracks for like ten, uh, ten, or us for a year now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How long was the recording session? I was there for eight days, and I feel like I tracked four. Okay. One day was tone. Two were travel days. Where's Sukoff at? He's in Florida, Sanford, Florida. Oh, okay. He's north of Orlando. You usually work with him, right? Yeah, we've been working with him since Until I Feel Nothing. We tracked in San Diego and sent it to him. And then, uh, so we've done, I want to say, four records. We did a record where we, Slow Death, where we tracked with him, and Mark Lewis mixed it. Then we did World War X, where he actually engineered, tracked, and mixed, you know? He knows you guys pretty well then. Yeah, yeah. So when we're like, hey, we want to track drums with you. And he's like, I want to track it all. We're like, all right. I <laughs> want <laughs> all of it. I think only Scott didn't track with him. Corey, um, he's kind of a, a a face for the band, I would say. Um, I mean, I would say everyone's pretty recognizable, to be honest. Um, though you have... You have had a, a rotating guitar member um, for quite some time. You've been a pretty stable lineup, you know. Every, I've known 
everyone that's in it now is everyone that I toured with, um, other than the the new guitar player. Um, is there? What's the deal with the rotating guitar player? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think something always comes to a head with those guys. So I'm a, I'm technically the third bassist, and Corey joined 2006, and he's been the rhythm guitar player since. But Sean and Scott started the band, so they're the mainstays. Okay. What ends up happening is like personal life. It's got to be personal, like you were talking about, working a job and having to be picked mm-hmm. tours. We have taken hiatuses, I think, two times now, where the first one, we took one, and the guitar player had stuff, Ryan at the time, had stuff at home that he had to deal with. And then once we picked it back up, he wasn't available. And then the last guitar player who you met, I want to say, right? No, you toured with Ryan. You toured with Ryan. I was with Ryan. No, I... You were teching. Actually, no, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I toured with Jordan. Yeah, yeah. When you were teching for Whitechapel. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And with Devil Driver tour. <laughs> yes. So that was, that's right. <laughs> and that was the same thing. We we were taking a big long break, and uh, and uh, Neil we met through. Uh, he's a mutual friend of Scott's. Him and their their wives are friends, and Neil was in Devil Driver after that tour we did. He joined after that. What kind of stuff do you do outside? Well. Of, well, actually, let me back up. Um, have you always been a bass player? What what got you into playing bass? Well, so I haven't always been a bass player. I was uh, I joined. Do you? Did, I don't know if you guys had this in sixth grade. Did you have elective classes in elementary school? No. But did you have elective classes in middle school? Yes. So did you? What'd you pick for your elective classes? I remember taking a speech class that I really liked, and I think that kind of led to a lot of like my blogging and this podcast and stuff because I really liked it. <laughs> did you take a spe- uh, Did you take an elective class? I took. I guess the only elective I took in elementary school was um, I I took some music classes. I took a violin class for a little while. That's what I had. Music. It said music, and I was like, "Oh, concert band, I'll do it." That I, I had. I'll, I don't know why. I just picked it. I was like, "That's something to do." Mm-hmm. And then I did it. So it, was, it became marching band, concert band, and I did that from sixth grade to twelfth grade. What did you do in marching band? I played tuba at first because no one. Oh, I played trombone at first. Oh wow! And but then but then there was no tuba player, and so like, <laughs> you want to play tuba? But I, I was I was a guy. You know, so tiny. But I did it. So, and I marched with them. So I played. That's awesome. Certain the sousaphone for marching. I, I played trombone first. Played tuba. Joined high school. The tuba player in high school was like, "I'm the only tuba player." I was like, "Fucking have it, dude!" I don't do it. <laughs> and I found out there's a jazz band, and so then I started. I played baritone in marching concert, and ja- and trombone for jazz band, and then eventually a band needed a bass player, and they're like. You already play bass club. <laughs> you're already on the low end. We, <laughs> you're familiar with this frequency. <laughs> like it was two guitar players. I wanted to play drums, and then they're like, "There's a bass right there. Just play that." Like, <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the way with bass players. So often is they just kind of fall into it, and they're just kind of the token bass player a lot of the time. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I've always been in a band because of it. 
like I said, I grew up on punk, but all the metal bands needed a bass player. So I was right. always in a band. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you ever wish it were more kind of central to the, the sound? Do you ever wish you were kind of more like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in the terms of like a band I was in, I wish it was more, I had more wiggle room because the band I'm in now, or I have been, you hear it. It's just a smattering of like, it's, it's the guitars, the vocals and the drums. Mm-hmm. So high demand of like, of the listener, like we're at mm-hmm. like, the forefront. Sean's yeah. blasting over everything. Scott's right. yelling over everything. And the guitars are just tremming and break and just bus sawing over everything. It's like, well, I got to lay back. And then when there's those moments, I can open up. You got your moments to shine. Is the genre I'm in, it's like, I got to lay back. It's a lot. Yeah. Totally. What were you going to say, Kurt? I was just going to say that I always appreciate, uh, like something that I appreciate about bass players is that when you want, a lot of times when you want to be, you know, a, a singer or a guitarist, you're kind of, I think you're, you, you could be looking to be the center of attention, but with a, uh, playing bass, one of the first things you have to do is kind of learn to work with the other people and you're, you're part of a, you know, a, a unit. And I think that I, I've just always appreciated that about bass players. And I think that one of the, the most kind of unfortunate things, I guess, about bass is that a lot of times, you know, the, the best thing about bass is when you're not, you're not really sticking out. Like when you're doing your best, it's, you're being a part of a rhythm section. And a lot of times when you think a guitar has like a really cool sound or tone, you're hearing the bass. You just don't know that it's not the guitar. And so I, I've always just appreciated that bassists are able to, to take that in stride. (laughs) You know, when I wrote music in high school and recorded it by myself and wrote drums for it and stuff, I never wrote bass parts because in my mind, I was just like, oh, it's just about guitars and drums. That's all that people hear, like, you know, and so there were never any bass parts to it. And then it took me, I don't. I don't even know how much longer until I started getting into like dance music and I was like, man, bass is cool. And then I started, (laughs) and then I went back and started listening to like all the bass parts of all these metal albums that I had just been like not paying attention to. And I'm like, man, I've been missing out for so long. Like bass is awesome. How does Carnifex, as far as like a um, creative force, is everyone pretty equally involved as far as, um, you know, what's written? I always say that Sean and Scott are like the main producers of the band. Mm-hmm. The two of them have kind of like the big, they they shape all, all the songs. So no matter what, when Corey's writing, and in this case, Neil, Neil wrote all, like 19 songs worth of material. Wow. At the end of the day, Sean, Sean and Scott are taking all that stuff and putting it through their filter of like what they think fits the band. And mm-hmm. he, now he's writing the music. Like he's got two folders. So he's got, he's got the folder of stuff. That he's like, I think this is stuff that you, that fits the band. But he's also got a folder of like, this is just stuff I'm writing. And then uh, Sean then starts writing to it. And uh, Corey does the same thing. He'll write off 
off that stuff. But at the same time, he's writing stuff himself. And then that goes again through the, the filter. And then after that, then the songs come back. And you go, this is what we think a song should sound like. And then we have our say of like, hey, this part should be played longer. This part should be played slower. This part should be cut. Uh, these drums should be uh, more focused on this, stuff like that. And then there's like even like little nuanced stuff of like, hey, what if you play the riff this way? What if you focus on this progression? What if the endings are like this, these tails or these transitions? That then then it starts getting more specific. But right. Beginning it's Scott and Sean picking apart everything with Sean writing to that stuff. Like, this is what we think the song like this is what we think these should sound. Kind of a vision for it. And usually Scott comes up with a concept for what mm-hmm. the lyric is gonna be about. Right. And he'll tell us, and then we start seeing the shape of the lyrics and the song titles are coming out later. I was gonna ask about the kind of theme stuff when Scott does that stuff does he is it kind of a that's scott's part so that's what scott does or does he kind of run it by you guys and like kind of get your approval with it too i don't know if he's running it to us to get approval it's definitely like we really don't touch the lyrics or the or the lyrical themes but he does kind of i guess present it in a way just to hear it like what we think See, to gauge our excitement, I guess. Right. If not excited about it, maybe he's going to tell me that. Definitely like, hey, this is what I'm excited about. This is what I want to, this is what I want to vocalize about. And then see, like, what we can. And I don't think he does it in a group setting of like, hey, guys. I, he, I, I get the text individually or the phone call. Sure. So he's, he, he, I think he hits us all individually to gauge us individually to see if enough of us are probably like stoked on it that he goes, okay, I'm going to keep Mm-hmm. It never feels like he's just going to do it just to do it. Just on his own. Yeah. That's cool. But, but he's mainly that it's, it's, it's his platform to say what he wants to say, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not really saying anything that's going to be, whoa, 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 wait, take a step back. I don't want you represent myself. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really, but at the end of the day, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's the band overall, what he thinks the band should be focusing on saying well i've just got um a couple other questions for you um that i think are are just kind of might be quicker responses um i don't know how much kurt has rapid fire well i want to ask you guys questions because this feels too (laughs) (laughs) one-sided i'd be happy to answer some (laughs) but let's see um we, I guess we talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, more specifically, is there a tour that you can recall that you just felt that we don't fit on this tour? We are just not the, we are not the right band for this audience. And you just kind of felt like maybe we shouldn't have taken this one. Because the, the, the knee-jerk one would be Obituary Unleashed. But I had fun on that tour because those were bands I wanted to see. I never heard of Unleashed at that point. I knew who Obituary was. I was I was reading a stupid heavy metal history book at that time. I think it was called Choosing Death. So it's a history. I have that book. Yeah, <laughs> Obituary is fucking in it, man. And so I'm like, I'm touring with death metal history right now. <laughs> and I had Trevor sign it, and he was like, he looked he looked pissed. He was like, I'm old, you know, but. But the whole tour, he was cool. They were all cool to us. 
So it's like, yeah, the fans didn't like us. Their fans didn't like us. But they're like older dude type fans. Like a, I remember a bearded guy in New York in a tie-dye shirt gave us a thumbs up after our set. I was like, yeah, he's not an elitist. He gets it. He likes he wants brutal heavy shit. I guess at the time we were probably like, we don't fit in. But afterwards, it's like we had fun. We played the cool, mm-hmm. cool shows, cool crowds. What tour didn't we fit on? I don't know. Oh, Fintroll. Fintroll was the tour we didn't fit on. That definitely was it. Fintroll Warbringer. We did two weeks with them. That was the one that we stuck out. What kind of venues were those? You ever heard of the ballroom in Chicago? No. Some some mafia bar on the outskirts of Chicago. Played, and there's like pictures of like Black Sabbath playing there with a whole back line of triple stack guitar cabinets. With the- How big? It was big. It was a big place. But we think it was a front for like money laundering. <laughs> there was not that many people but yeah we, we we were playing to people with the with like the whole uh paint like roots and stuff all across the bear trail. right folk metal people that they they didn't want to hear us but then there's also the thrash kids wearing the retro bullet the bullet belts and the high tops they didn't want to see us they didn't want to see control you know it was like so bizarre Weird. and there's us opening it we're like what the fuck <laughs> we didn't fit on that and it was a weird bill Fintroll, warbringer and us yeah that's bizarre oh man <laughs> what was and that in support of it was uh disease no uh it shows me maybe it was disease still but i i know warbringer was on uh war without end or i think that's the record I'm actually looking at your uh, Wikipedia right now, and according to that, um, Fintroll and Warbringer was Disease and the Poisoned. So that would have been 2008, 2009-ish, probably. That'd be 2000. It was, maybe it was 2008, so that way it was probably before Obituary and Unleashed. So like the the first real tour was Obituary and Unleashed, but Fintroll was to get us from another tour. Because that was a full tour, and it ended in in North County City, hmm. which was cool. Because we played some shows where we saw. I remember Scott like coming up to me at the San Marcos show, going, "Oh my god, we're gonna get heckled again!" And I look over, and I was like, "Oh, I know those two guys," and and they had the Fintroll paint, and I was like, "Oh, they listen to us, but they yeah, they're more they're, they're, they're cool." I was like, "We're gonna be fine." <laughs> I'm curious because you were talking about playing video games now that you're done tracking. I love video games. What do you play? I can't stop playing Destiny. <laughs> cool. Oh, I'm still ripping on Destiny too. <laughs> like I was trying to do uh, daily zero, but I uh, I just I just played Goldeneye because it dropped out. It, it sure yeah. did. <laughs> I immediately went after all those time trials, man. <laughs> I had a blast. <laughs> well, what do you guys play on PC, PlayStation, or Xbox? Switch. Oh hell yeah! yeah. You I, got I mostly, then. You can play it. Yeah, I play Switch and I have a Series S, but I don't play much. The only I pretty much have an Xbox just so it can be a Fallout machine, and then I, and then oh. I play Switch. Like <laughs> I, I bought Fallout Four, uh, bun, the bundle for Xbox One. Yeah, and I played the shit out of that game. Don't get Kurt started on <laughs> this Fallout. is a metal podcast. I gotta chill. <laughs> 
Awesome. Since I'm now trying to get back into slash listen to all Carnifex's albums, is there an album that you have a stronger attachment to than other ones? Like, do you have a favorite album you've made with the, with your band? Yeah, for me personally, it's Until I Feel Nothing because that's like the last record I really wrote riffs on. And that was like the transition for the blackened part. Because I remember talking to Scott going, he's like, I listen to Blackman. I was like, hey, I do too. Why don't we implement those kind of things in the band? Because at the time, Deathcore was really metalcore-ish. So a lot of the melodic stuff was too happy for my liking. I was like, dude, black metal has all the cool melodic elements. Because at the time, it was like either death metal or melodic death metal or metalcore. I was like, dude, black metal has all, like we were geeking out. We both thought black metal has very catchy melodic elements that we can implement, but it just sounds, it just sounds evil versus the other stuff just sounds happy and cat like they're both catchy. And so he, and at the time we had, we were, we did uh hell chose me, which was more in the death metal uh, approach. Cause we were like, okay, what do we listen to death and cannibal corpse? Let's throw that shit in there. And then uh, that was the first turn for that black and death core. We, we wrote those elements into it. So three of the songs on there have that first step into that for us and uh, a bunch of those riffs of mine were on there and I was like, that's it. But I haven't written as much like that since, but that that's for me, like my favorite contribution to the band. Awesome. That okay. was kind of the tough part. So do you remember victory records when they decided to take all the merch rights away from all their bands? I remember some sort of victory controversy, but I don't remember all the, details about it we found out we signed when we signed our contract we didn't know it at the time but we kind of i think we signed the deal memo that's the other thing we didn't read the full contracts but they were really smart about hey we are printing in-house we're going to do everything in-house and so we had to print our merch through victory and then victory was like we're going to have our own online store and they thought they could do it globally and that everyone would buy merch from chicago worldwide <laughs> And they're going to ship worldwide from Chicago. And uh, they ended up making merch stores online that were tricking people into going to the Victory Records site, where it was amirmerch.com, carnifexmerch.com. They made a merch.com for every band on the roster. And it just redirected. And then when you went to the shopping cart, it was really you were shopping at victoryrecords.com and you'd see the full web address. So it was just a spoof. And they made it so that we couldn't be on Empiricon, which was in Europe. And then they made it so that we had our own HTML site where we would put our quantities of our uh, leftover tour merch and, and our buddy David, our first merch guy, had the scripts on there where it was a live quantity where if we put 12 on there, as soon as the 12 were sold, then it, would, it, it wouldn't sell anymore. And we would drop ship it on tour or at home in manila envelopes and, and then go to the post office and mail the stuff off. We couldn't even do that with Victory. Wow. Was on Until Phil Nothing got really small to the point where we're like, we can't make money when we're off the road. We can't even make money when we're on tour because we were paying so much money to Victory for these for this merch. And and we were like in debt. Like 
to the point where we're like, we, we're like, we're done. We're, we're, we got to take a break. We can't, this is so ridiculous, but we did a, we did a handful of tours on that. That were pretty cool. I mean, the one we did with you guys, we went to Europe for a headliner of the summer fest, which was awesome. We got to play with like, uh, I want to say it was that one. We went, we went, uh, we played some crazy, uh, Eastern European countries, uh, we play. I remember playing like a coffee shop that was like really long, and it was like daylight. Like some for some reason we were so far out there, we're like it was still daylight by the time we went online or on stage. This is bizarre, but uh, and we did it as a four piece. Like that was that was a flight where Ryan didn't make it. Like he oh, wow. he didn't show up, and he was telling us he didn't show up. And so Corey and I are like on the first day figuring out like, all right, you're gonna play these harmonies, and I'm not gonna play the bass riff. I'll play the guitar riff, and then. Uh, I'll do the trade-offs for these songs because it was before we had the backing tracks. Oh and yeah, making it work of like, where should the focus be? Where should the harmonies definitely be there? Where should, where should I lay back or fill up? And, and that was kind of cool. But do you guys play to a click now? Yeah, we. I think after that we started playing. Sean, no, Sean played to a click for a long time. Probably around then, but that's. That's the first iteration of like after that, like we need to get, we need to get this stuff on, on something. So you guys have a lot of like symphonic stuff and added additional parts now. I mean, that that's kind of the, the evolution, the, the black metal type stuff that you were talking about. So that a, a lot of that kind of requires it to be on a click. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we gotta be in time with that stuff. It's <clears throat> even like some, uh, like uh, if the both guitar players go to play a lead, there's like a rhythm track, disembodied rhythm track. Uh, sometimes there's some double parts on the solo, which I keep like nudging Corey, like you got to play those. <laughs> <laughs> Harmonize with solos. Yeah, it, but that was cut short. That touring cycle got cut short because of the bullshit with Victory. Man, that's crazy. I I hadn't even thought about what gone what had gone on with them since they just kind of faded out of existence in my mind i didn't even i did remember Sudum. oh that's right that's how awesome within the ruins got off because they got we let our our option lapse and then we're like can we go and they're like we're busy like all right we're going (laughs) see ya (laughs) then the ruins told us like hey we're off we're like Let's get off. Let's get, uh, we got to go. We got to go now. <laughs> we got off first, and then we got off. How'd you end up with uh, Nuclear Blast? So as soon as we were finding out that Within the Ruins was going to get off, Scott talked to our manager at the time to field offers from other agents to see if there was any interest. Metal Blade, uh, at the time, it was Good Fight, and... Central Media and Nuclear Blast had meetings. And so Scott flew to New York and in LA, or he drove to LA, but he flew to New York. And then uh, I think it came down to Metal Blade and Nuclear Blast. Where Metal Blade was like, we'll handle the US distribution. Nuclear Blast will handle the rest. And we're like, why not just have it under Nuclear Blast? And then we <clears throat> counter offered to them, like, Can you just give us a little more money. And you get the whole damn thing. Fine. and we did it and, and then that was cool we're like okay they actually said they would meet those demands and we said yeah and then we've been with them for 
records now and two EPs. Yeah, it seems like it's been a while. That Without Hope, Slow Death. We did uh, uh, Bury Me and Blasphemy and Curse demo and then uh, Graveside and then now this next one. Nice. Or we did two EPs. Or maybe one EP and one single. Or two singles. Yeah. <laughs> really hard to keep track it's all digital now we can't yeah the the whole pre-order push we can't do that anymore right the whole like song and then the record's out we Mm -hmm. now have to release song after song after song yeah that's like the new sleep token or we could go the route that uh a lot of the pop artists use like just release singles oh isn't that what falling reverse does now they just do singles there's no point writing a whole record just write a hit song that's the next song you put in rotation Wow. Kind of a waste of energy to read 10 songs. Totally. Only be able to play one new song on Twitter. <laughs> and one of, <laughs> only one of them will show up on all those TikToks. And... We try to rotate every tour a song to encourage people to come to the next tour. Mm-hmm. This next tour, we're going to play one. Then the tour after that, we're going to cycle in another new song. So that way it's like, yeah, you might have just seen us two, three months ago, but you're not going to hear that song. Yeah, it'll be a different set. Yeah, we're playing one new song. Nice. I think it's called Torn in Two. Sweet. Let's see. I don't think you're coming to Seattle, so I. <laughs> but but I see your the 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 tour starts in Phoenix. <laughs> I know. I have to go to San Diego to come. Here. So I I'm traveling as light as possible. I'm going with a backpack and a base. I'm coming back and picking up like all my funk stuff. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's always a bummer. Well, we signed off on it when it said Pacific Northwest. We're like, yeah. <laughs> and then we didn't see it. We're like, no. <laughs> that's our scene. Dude, we used to play Spokane all the time. Spokane was great, man. Yeah, that was Anticoma. That, that's, mm-hmm. those are, and Bend. Those were the three places we could carve through when early on. That's cool that you played Tacoma. Yeah, Ray's that Golden was like Lion. I declare war is like <laughs> Ray's Golden Lion was in Richland. That was out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. 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 Tacoma. Tacoma probably would have been um Hell's Kitchen. Does that sound familiar? That's probably before my time then. Then my guys played that. Yeah, maybe. Ray's Golden Lion was out in uh, Richland. That's yeah, that's out in the middle of the state, just kind of uh, over the pass. That's that's a different part of Washington for sure. <laughs> what is it a venue? It's a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Levy hooked us up, and uh, oh yeah, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. That we we played all those old venues, and we played with Skysburn Black. Remember that band? Mm-hmm. They were they were our go-to opener every time we were in the area. That's sweet. Well, you just got done finishing a uh, recording. About to head out on this tour with Chelsea Grin. Anything else going on with you? Uh, so we have two more tours lined up for the rest of the year. We have a U.S. tour we're going to headline that's going to be announced later. We're still booking the bands and uh, booking... Uh, now we're still betting the bands. Then we're going to go to Europe on another headliner. 
what we try to do now is when we headline the states, we try to see if we can get bands to commit to both. So that way, they, mm. that way, it's like a full thing of like, hey, here's this lineup, fire lineup. We're gonna do it with the states, and we're gonna do it here. But we can't yeah. get everyone to commit. As mm-hmm. long as we can get it's the direct tough. support to commit, that's that's worth it. But yeah, it kind of worked out this way. We just did that tour last year with Chelsea Grin at the end of the year. And on that tour, they're like, dude, we got this headliner that we're being as pressured to get someone. You guys should do it. And we're like, yeah, we'll totally do it. We haven't toured you guys since Jason was in the band, you know? <laughs> it's a long time ago. And so it was cool where it, I, it's like sometimes we are, it's hard to be friends when business gets in the way. The manager's always going to be talking in their ears, you know, it's going to best fit them. But they see the proof in the pudding. Like when we're playing shows, we have a crowd. We're we're not we're we're pretty professional on and off the stage. We got along, and we and we were telling them like, you guys want to save money. We all have families and stuff. Some of us have mortgages, you know. <laughs> we gotta we gotta save money in a way. And it's like, hey, let's do this tour. Like you can pay us what we want, and then we'll cut the corners the other way. We're like, you guys bring the whole production. We'll split crew. We can do the tour in the van to help split costs. You know. And then when we do the headliner, then that, then we got to do a bandwagon. Really. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we're not we're not closing, so we can get away with getting hotels and being late right. about our driving. But then when we headline, it's like we got to get a driver because mm-hmm. we're there first. We're going to be leaving last. You're talking about a party afterwards. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll drink I'll drink a few beers afterwards, but. It's work, man. Twelve-hour days. Evan knows you're the first Absolutely. one, dude. You're the first one <laughs> yep. walking in, sussing out where to put your gear, where, who's going to help you, talking to the staff. Yep. Yeah, they're long days. Closing the trailer while the other people are up there going, yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> you know the grind, you know. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> but have you ever toured, Kurt, or have you been around anybody that's like? Have you followed someone throughout the night of watching them work? Uh, just Evan. <laughs> I've never been in like any professional type of band, but when Evan was uh, in I Declare War, I would hang out with him whenever I got a chance to. And uh, I got to see him on one tour when he was uh, teching for Whitechapel. So that was uh, pretty cool to just like, you know, see something different, you know. That always makes me excited. Like, I- we didn't get to hang out a lot. We got to, we did that one tour, but then seeing you again mm-hmm. in the Whitechapel camp, that kind yeah. of shit gets me so excited. I was like, I get to hang out with him again. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> no, I felt the same way. <laughs> it's always that's that's the best thing about touring is making these random little friendships that you just suddenly oh we're back together again great <laughs> you can make or break a tour you know absolutely tour watch Whitechapel complain and devil driver complain but we were all in that shit together and then you end up mm-hmm. in the camps you know so and then seeing you like i was like oh we get to hang out like we're gonna be in the same venue just chilling out cracking jokes and finding food you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun tour. Revocation. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I ever took them seriously because they did. They were kind of like the jokey band at first. Remember those music videos they put out at first? No. That. They, so I remember the. They made like those 
music videos that were kind of like supposed to be funny. So I was kind of like, oh, they're a thrash band that thinks that, that with a sense of humor. And then we toured with them on that tour. And I was like, uh-huh. whoa, there's a lot more thought out stuff going on. <laughs> and I was sold and I was watching them every night. Dave's sick, man. They were cool. <laughs> and Bart was cracking me up. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> Have you seen him since with Ash playing drums? I haven't. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Kurt, do you know, do you know Three Inches of Blood? Uh, not really. Oh, man. They're like old school heavy metal, but from, from Vancouver, Canada. Their drummer now plays for Revocation, and he fucking rips. He's always ripped, but when he joined, I was like, what? I get to see him again? Like I was just saying, like, get to hang out with you. We did a tour with him, and he was like, he's like, it's the weirdest compliment to get. Where people are like, I don't know who could play drums like that. I was like, yeah, he always ripped, but it's just different. He's playing traditional heavy metal to now, like, progressive heavy metal, you know? Technical death metal. I was like, or tech, was it like technical death and thrash or thrash and death metal? You, know? you want to get super specific. But it's cool to see him ripping in another band where, like, people would probably have, like, not taken him seriously. And he fucking rules. The band's tighter for it. Weird story about Three Inches of Blood. I interned at a studio in Seattle after I did my schooling here. I came. I moved to Seattle to do audio production, and part of our our schooling was doing an internship. And I got an internship at uh, London Bridge Studios up in. Um, I can't remember the exact city it's in now, but um, when I got there, Three Inches of Blood was tracking their new record, and Joey Jordison was the producer. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the one yeah. Silent Killer? Uh, I can't remember. I was there. They were only there a couple days when I was there, um, but I I met Three Inches of Blood and Joey, Joey Jordison, like, just suddenly interning at this studio and it was just like holy shit what am i you know like two years ago i was like sitting playing playing guitar on my computer like just like dreaming about these guys and now joey jordison literally gave me his debit card and his pin and i took money out of his account for him that's crazy (laughs) it's awesome do you have any weird experiences like that with uh, musical heroes or? Uh, yeah. So, so we used to be managed by Outer Loop Management. They're based in DC. They're not around anymore, I don't think. And uh, our manager's day to day guy is this guy named Nick Dilpatar. And we still worked with him for a long time. When we became self managed, we're like, all the stuff you were doing for him, continue doing for us. And we paid him for that. But he ended up transitioning out. And now he manages Metalocalypse. Nice. So because of that, <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm going to go to this comedy club. Steve Aggie is going to be there. You guys should come up and hang out. And we went and hang out. And then we realized, oh, it's not just Steve Aggie. It's him playing guitar with Brendan Smalls. That's sick. He invites his buddies. So it's, a, it's comedy and metal. <laughs> so Scott Ian from Anthrax was there played a country song with some other artist and uh it was a it's the guitar player keyboard player i'm uh i'm gonna botch it he's a he's a real big deal 
he shreds. And I want to say he was like, mate, uh, it sucks that I don't remember, but yeah, like we got to hang out. And the, and the person I was geeking out on was, it was the bass player from Metalocalypse and he's in the Aristocrats. Do you know who that is? It's, I want to say Brian Beller. I was geeking out on him. I was like, that's the guy I want to meet and shake hands with. Mm-hmm. Walking out in the lobby and seeing all those people was like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah. I'm just comfortable knowing he exists and I get to watch it. I got to watch him. And then people are geeking out on him. And then this, this Nikhil comes up, starts talking to us and we're just hanging out. Scott and I are hanging out. And then this woman comes up, starts talking to us and, and we're just cracking jokes with her. And then we find out, Oh, that's Brendan Small's wife. And then he comes up and starts hanging out and we're like, Oh, now we're just hanging out. So we're not geeking out and we're just hanging out. I was like, that's cool. I got to hang. Like I'm watching the guy I want to talk to. And then another guy walks up I'm like, Oh, we're just hanging out. This is cool. Like it's not, no pretentiousness, just, Mm-hmm. we're just musicians hanging out in LA. This is crazy. You're a big deal. I watched two of your shows and I saw you play live. And now I saw you play live at crack jokes. This is crazy. So that that's like what it was. It was like knowing somebody who's doing stuff and then just, just going to hang out with him and then meeting these other people. So like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And yeah. So it's like the whole proximity thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we wouldn't have gone anywhere if we hadn't have made friends with Whitechapel. You know, we met them on a random show in Arizona and then just kind of became friends with them. And that's where all of our stuff started because we, you know, we did the same artery management with them and all that same kind of stuff. So, yeah, totally. Did you guys get hooked up with Red Bull when you signed to Artery? No. <laughs> Not that I can remember. Yeah, they started shipping us crates of Red Bull. Or uh, <laughs> crates of Red Bull. I remember. And we uh, built up a tolerance. We're like, this won't do anymore. <laughs> that was like the artery thing. Like they were like, for some reason, you, you signed an artery. You were endorsed by Red Bull. Weird. We got Dunlop guitar strings. I remember that. And picks. Because <laughs> you got something. You know, <laughs> I got bags of them left. <laughs> I've been, oh yeah, I've, I've been trying to decide what to do with them. I'm going to ask you guys a question then. What's the first concert you went to and what's the first concert you took yourself to? The first concert I took myself to, I think was, um, just like a VFW. I don't even know if it counts. It was just like a local show when I was in, in middle school. And um, my next door neighbor was in one of the bands. And I didn't know that until I, I showed up. And I thought that was like so fucking cool. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, no, but the first like real show that I ever went to was um, Fear Before and Heavy Heavy Low Low and Poison the Well. Damn, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Heavy, heavy, low, low. <laughs> Dude, I, I fucking love heavy, heavy, low, low. That, that's, uh, and that's probably why, because I, I saw them so early on. But <laughs> That's cool. Wait, so what, what, who took you to that show? Uh, my friend, uh, my friend John in high school that, um, I had two friends that really got me into metal and hardcore and I, John was more of a hardcore guy and Mike was more of a, a metal guy. 
And so I went with John. And uh, he's one of those guys that completely disappeared off the face of the planet. And I haven't talked to him in like 15 years. So. Yeah, it happens. I hope it resurfaces. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's a cool lineup, man. I like all those bands. That's sick. Yeah, that was good. All right, Evan, your turn. All right, so first show. Um, I've been going to music pretty much all my life. Um, so I want to say that the first concert that I went to was the um, live Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. <laughs> um, Coming out of our shells tour. That exactly. <laughs> um, I know I have a photo of me with one of the turtles somewhere. Um, so that that could be that could be considered the start of my concert years. Um, another one could also be um, I saw Brooks and Dunn in Reno with my mom. I also saw Garth Brooks. I think at one point I was into. I was into country with no, not the same bill. Um, but, um, I was, I was super into country as a kid with my mom. So I was, I was going to shows with her. It's a good follow up though. Like, uh, then, then the, the question would be like, what got you into music? So that, that means your mom, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we used to listen to country and we used to listen to the, the radio. And what, what was her go-to? Like, what was her, that you remember like, Garth Brooks and Winona. Oh shit! All right. <laughs> Is that the live show that those kids ripped on YouTube and put Throwdown music over? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> back to back to the uh, original question. Um, yeah, I think the first show that I went to by myself was this show called Boarding for Breast Cancer. And it was a breast cancer charity fundraiser show in Lake Tahoe. And it was right after uh, Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory came out. So it was on their kind of main Hybrid Theory touring cycle. And it was Linkin Park, Static X, Cottonmouth Kings, and then this random new metal band called stereo mud i know stereo mud that's funny <laughs> you know stereo mud <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i like that obscure stuff 90 stuff yeah we were just talking about flaw with cam yeah that's funny <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know i'd I think we covered pretty much everything, Fred. You were pretty uh, pretty thorough with everything. Anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to throw out? I guess the only stuff I got to plug is that we're going to be leaving soon here for our next U.S. tour. We're going to be – it's it's a co-headline bill, but Chelsea Grin's going to close every night, so we're direct support. It's Chelsea Grin and us and Left to Suffer and Of Sulphur. So Of Sulphur, just, their record just dropped – and uh, we've already toured with both those bands. We've toured with all the bands, but we just recently toured last year with Left to Suffer and Up Sulphur. And uh, we will be releasing a single soon, 22, and we're going to play that song on this next tour. Uh, our record, we just finished tracking. We are currently waiting for the mixes, so we'll let you know how they start sounding. And we'll have a release date for that soon. 
Uh, speaking of which, I still have to write my thank yous and send those to Scott. <laughs> See, with like stuff at home, man, I was like, uh, I was just cleaning the house. I'm like, I got two stepkids, so I have a birthday party to get ready for this. Week. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kurt knows how that is. Yeah, so I, had, I was cleaning uh, a room in a common area. So I was like, I'll clean the living room and defurify everything in case someone has allergies. And then clean one of the rooms and make sure all the stuff's all organized. I'll do a laundry. And then after this, I'll probably go make dinner and eat, play some Destiny. So. <laughs> but I'll be, I play video games. I don't stream. I, sh I keep being told to, I'm thinking like, do you think this is a good idea? I, I'm going to post stuff on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel I've done YouTube. Uh, I do playthroughs of songs for the record. I'm going to eventually do all of them. So every song multi-angle will be nice. So people can then learn those parts if they want. And, uh, I think someone was saying I should stream myself practicing sets oh yeah that'd be cool i'll do us i think i should do a stream where i play the set before the tour we go on tour i come back and then do another stream of me like here's the set again after the tour. <laughs> before and after <laughs> that's a really cool idea yeah that is really cool yeah yeah it's like this is me right before i leave this is me as soon as i finish <laughs> It's a show of difference. I think it's just the dexterity, you know. I think I can get away with that. I'm not going to play video games in front of people. That's my time. So. <laughs> right? It's like therapeutic. It's your time. It's what I want to. I want to enjoy this. That's my. Right on, man. Well, I really appreciate you making the time for us, especially since it was kind of last minute, and you know, you just. But um, I think this is going to drop right before you leave for that tour. So, um, yeah, should be out right around then. Hit me with everything I needed so I can post it so that way everyone knows. And I'll... Yeah, yeah. Where can we find you online? Yeah, I'm um, Fred Cal on Instagram. And it might be Calderon Fred on YouTube because they made me change it. But it's it's originally Doggy Dreads slash Doggy Dreads. So. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll be posting uh, playthroughs on there soon. Enough. Sweet. Right on, man. Well, I really, really appreciate your time, especially uh, doing this so early on in our our career as podcasters. And like I said, nicest dude in metal. So really appreciate your time. Try to live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sweet. Thanks, man. If you guys want to follow Bring the Heavy, you can follow us at Bring the Heavy on Instagram. If you want to follow me, you can find me at KurtCake5K on Instagram and Letterboxd. And where are you on the internet, Evan? You can find me, like I said earlier, at my Instagram account, at IBW Museum. That's where I'm posting my I Declare War memories and Guitar Tech memories with Whitechapel and As I Lay Down. All right. We will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.